You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. Now, if you were listening to last week's show, then you would have heard me banging on about the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest, the stage from which Swedish pop superstars ABBA launched their international career. And ABBA are the perfect segue to this week's Speaking of the Arts, as I'll be chatting to Monica Palmer and Rob Krauss about Capital City Productions' ABBA music-inspired show, Mamma Mia, which opens in Jefferson City on June the 6th. It also gives me a chance to confirm that the hot favourites, the Netherlands, Netherlands won this year's Eurovision Song Contest and so the speaking of the arts desk will have to be handed over to someone else for at least one Friday in May 2020 while I bounce ecstatically around Holland wearing one of my many sequined disco <laughs> Later in the show we'll be hearing from Trent Rash about the Stevens College Summer Theatre Institute and the five events that they have coming up over the next few weeks and we'll also have some folks in from Maplewood Barn to talk about their production of Romeo and Juliet which opens next week. But first, I am <laughs> delighted to welcome back to the studio my erstwhile colleague, founder of Speaking of the Arts, and soon-to-be Rosie in Amamiya, Monica Palmer, along with the show's director and Capital City Productions founder and president, Rob Krauss. Welcome back to the show, Monica and Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Before um, we start, I just want to ask, are you going to wear one of your disco outfits Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Mia. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I already, awesome. I already have it picked out. It's probably the same as the Eurovision Song Contest Oh, good. Outfit. I like that yes. one. Yeah. Awesome. Leopard print bell bottoms. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Monica, I have to start by asking you, as you were at my Eurovision party, yeah. how was your first ever Eurovision Song Contest experience? You know, I went into it with just kind of like, oh, let's go see this thing that Diana's all crazy about. This is going to be interesting. And it was so addicting. Like, you were so locked in. By the, by the time the third country had their song... I was just like invested and Mallory my friend Mallory more so than me because she was like literally almost crying at the end when North Macedonia got robbed in her words robbed and didn't win so yeah it was I mean it was intense there was lots of emotion joy I mean, you really ran that ran the gamut from joy to anger to sadness to you know just and, and the songs themselves I mean were what was what was the the hard rock one? Who was that? Was Iceland. That Iceland. That was the BDSM number. BDSM all the way, and they owned it, and they didn't care. They were like sitting there when the when the points were coming in, and they weren't getting them. They were like, we don't care. We were on Eurovision. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hard rock generally doesn't have much of a place at Eurovision, but back in two thousand and six, Finland uh, won with a super hard rock number. Where they were all dressed up in outfits, almost kind of kiss like, and uh, hard rock Hallelujah by Lordi. That was the first year that my husband watched the European Song Contest and had they not won that year I don't think he would ever have watched again but because Lordy won he thought yeah respect Eurovision <laughs> I respect your husband for just going along on these journeys with you he's so trusting and what an amazing man he's he is a husband of million, in millions like he what is. You say. He is, he's he wonderful is. now he's, Rob Rob, do you know um, Eurovision Song Contest have you ever watched it I, I have not <laughs> I'm, You're missing I'm out. listening to this as if I'm in a foreign country myself because this is all very 
very important to me. <laughs> now there was some there was some gossip after the fact because they uh, they have to count all the votes. The votes come in from across Europe. There's a televote and there's a jury vote. And somebody well, they fired the Belarusian jury after oh. the first semi-final because they blabbed about who they'd voted for, which you aren't allowed to do. So they were fired. And then they uh, that's why I could never do that job because that would have been me. I would have been the Belarus <laughs> person that would be like, you know what happened? Do you know who won? So they had to do an aggregate of four other countries. And anyway, the counting all got mixed up and points were awarded where points shouldn't have been awarded. And so the uh, on the day, Sweden won the jury vote, but actually it turned out that it was North Macedonia that had actually won the Mallory jury was vote. right. She they was were right. robbed. <laughs> <laughs> she was robbed. It was a beautiful, like, you know, feminine empowerment, like ballad, power ballad. That, Called Proud. Yeah, it yeah. was beautiful. So, Monica, will you still be saying things like, so is it like American Idol? No, no. Thank you. I've been I've been duly trained. <laughs> you don't say, <laughs> especially in Diana's company, you don't say, oh, it's kind of like American Idol or, you know, America's Got Talent. No, it's not. It's like the Olympics or some other like it, it's it's just it's got a it's got a bigger sense about it. It's it's huge. I mean, it's it's a whole continent or a whole country and 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 australia, australia. <laughs> which is just fun in itself to say it's a whole country and australia continent <laughs> continent and australia <laughs> just getting so excited about it and just you know everybody's tuning i was i was texting with my friend in lisbon portugal the whole time i was at your house watching this thing and he, he, the fact that we were watching a show together i mean it was like our college days all over again exactly so, it is lovely i watch yeah. it my friend in australia is watching it i've got friends in the audience you know, they, they, they were there in Tel Aviv yeah. and we were texting. So it was, it's amazing. Everyone is together watching yeah. this one thing. And I love the pacing of it. It's like, you know, songs can only be three minutes and then yeah. it turns over and it goes to the next one. So it's very fast paced. It was fun. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I, have to, I still have to find somewhere there's got to be an archive of the year that ABBA won. I have to find oh, yes. the 1974 Eurovision and watch when ABBA won with oh, I can send Waterloo, wasn't it? Yep. Waterloo. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> no. You'll send it to me? Oh, yeah. You're the best. It's my, yeah, my top 10 <laughs> videos of all time. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so my love of ABBA, of course, is totally tied to my love of the Eurovision Song Contest. Obviously. And I thought it would be you know helpful for you to channel that ABBA Eurovision mm. history as you step into Mama. Mia. So yeah, so I can tell my director that the whole time I was at Diana's house, I was doing character work. I was getting uh, in touch good. with the ABBA feel. I'm, like the I'm vibe. glad to know that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a wasted time at all. No, 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 no. So Mamma Mia, on any given day, there are allegedly seven performances on stage somewhere in yes. the world. It has played in over 50 countries across six continents. It is the eighth longest running musical on Broadway, and it is the seventh longest running show in London's West End. The movie version, which came out in 2000, 2008 and starred Meryl Streep, Julie Waters and Christine Baranski is the highest worldwide grossing live action musical film of all time. Plus, it has awesome music like this.
was just a wee clip of Dancing Queen from the original London cast recording featuring Jenny Galloway, Louise Plowright and Siobhan McCarthy. So when the show opened on Broadway in October 2001, just a few weeks after 9-11, the New York Times theatre critic Ben Brantley hilariously wrote, It is a widely known, if seldom spoken truth, that when the going gets tough, the tough want cupcakes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Those in need of such solace and who doesn't that include in New York these days will be glad to learn that a giant singing hostess cupcake opened at the Winter Garden <laughs> Theatre last night. So I feel like we're in another time of needing solace at all levels. Mm. Is it as therapeutic acting in Mamma Mia as it is watching it, Monica? Absolutely, because it's such a joyful show and it celebrates friendship and just, you know, the bonds that you form and, and just, you know, it, and the music itself is so joyful. And, you know, it's it's been great being welcomed into a new theater community because, you know, I've only done things in Columbia. So to be welcomed into a whole new theater community in Jefferson City and they truly are like a family there. And, and it was just like, I'm the new crazy cousin and they love me. And it's so <laughs> amazing to just uh, to be in that. So yeah, it's been it's been a real joy for me. Yeah, Rob, I know there probably almost amazingly must be people out there who have not seen the show. So set the scene for us. How does the story open, and who do we meet at the beginning of Mamma Mia? Well, at the beginning of Mamma Mia, you meet this young woman named Sophie, uh, who has been raised by her mother Donna at a taverna that they built and put together and she's about to get married. Sophie is about to get married and she has found her mom's diary and has uh, found out that her mother uh, had affairs with three men and she suspicions one of them is her dad. And so unbeknownst to her mom, she invites all three of these (laughs) men to her wedding and unbeknownst to them, Donna doesn't know that they're coming to Sophie's wedding. And so that's the, the setup for the show. Monica, it is at its heart a wonderful story of mm. strong women and fierce female friendships, of female empowerment and liberation. Yeah. But talk us through the main arcs of the Mamma Mia story. Where do we go from this beginning? Um, you go from Chikatita to Dancing Queen to, oh, you mean, <laughs> <laughs> you are going to get a hit by hit journey of, you know, Ava's greatest hits for sure. But the, the arc of it is, you know, just that, that premise, like solving the, the who's the dad and does it matter who the dad is and really what's the most important thing about, you know, our connections with each other and, and, um, and just celebrating life where you are and with who's around you. And, and that's kind of the show. Don't look for too much like to, to sit down and journal about afterwards look for going and having a great time with some great people like take the people you love the most that um, you can have some drinks with and maybe dance on the table with those are the people to take to the show with you because it's a party I mean this is definitely going to be like you know a musical where you're going to be you might cry there is one song that always gets me uh, you know especially when I watch it with my daughter there's one song <laughs> that always gets my tears flowing but soon after that I'm making people laugh again, so it's fine. So, <laughs> so it's a it's a wonderful show. Going back to the Ben Brantley critique that he gave back in 2001, he said that he'd taken with him a very cynical friend, but by the end of it, even though she was a bit sniffy at the beginning, by the end of it, she was crying and laughing and dancing in the aisles, and so it just wins everybody over. It's yeah, such a beautiful story of friendship. What's well, such a celebration? And and the other thing 
to me of taking it from a male perspective is the fact that it so shows that women don't need a man in their life to have a fulfilling and and successful life and donna is a character the free-spirited mom who uh you can just really identify with and and really enjoy because here she is with her own two hands that has built this business out out of nothing and made a life and a, a beautiful family for her and her daughter without even a man on the scene so seeing that happen i think is good for us as a society right and and she got to have a wild wild youth which yeah. you know men are allowed to have but women are judged for but she's not judged in this she's allowed to you know right. so wild well not yeah. literally so <laughs> well and i think that's part of it now i'm older than you all but see i'm i'm of that generation uh, 60s i went to college in the late 60s so i'm of all that i used to have very long hair instead of no hair so uh <laughs> i i understand donna very well I dated several dollars. <laughs> you haven't been invited any Greek taverners lately. <laughs> no, I'm hoping I don't have any unknown children out there somewhere. But it's That's possible. <laughs> As an aside, I love the story of how the play only happened because of female determination. So Judy Kramer, who was the original producer, had had this idea for several years. and She'd worked with Bjorn and Benny on chess. Um, and she wanted to take these songs of ABBA and turn it into a musical. And for 10 years... Is, Bjorn and Benny said no. What? But she just kept mm. on pushing for this. Uh, and we want it to happen. <laughs> Good job. And they did change their mind. <laughs> well played, Mike. Well played. Uh, <laughs> after 10 years, they agreed to give her the rights to do the show. And then she hooked up with Felida Lloyd, who is a great director in London and a, a great writer, Catherine Johnson. And in 1996, they formed a company with Anderson and Yuval, with Benny and Bjorn. And they produced Mamma Mia, which opened in 1999 in London. And Judy Kramer, who I think had, had uh, put a house up for remortgage to fund this, is wow. now worth something like 120 million pounds. Good so, Judy. Good Judy, exactly. Good job. <laughs> good on you. Now, Monica, you're playing Rosie, and yes. I remember you going to the audition for this, and you were mm. up against some other very, very strong actors. Yes. But for me, the role of Rosie has Monica Palmer written through it <laughs> like a stick of Blackpool rock, as we say in England. So, what was it about the role of Rosie over the other two that drew you to her? Well, I, you know, I've seen the movie like everybody else and their brother and my seven-year-old, who it's her favorite movie. Um, and, and I've seen the stage production a couple of times at New Theater in Kansas City in Overland Park and then also at Maple's Rep. And I just fell in love with that character. I was like, that's the role I would want to play because she's just so fun. And she's just, you know, she loves her friends so much and she would do anything for her friends. And I'm like, that's me. And, you know, and, and she just, you know, she's just such a joy. And, and every time she comes on the, on the stage, you know, like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be good, you know, and so that's what I like to bring to a show. <laughs> Rob, it seems like a no-brainer to put Mamma Mia into season, but and you're obviously a huge fan of musicals, but what was it that made you want to do it? I mean, there are so many fantastic musicals to choose from. What was it about Mamma Mia? Well, that... you have to understand, I can't take a lot of credit for this. 
Nate Gray, who is the president of Capital City Productions, this is like his favorite musical. And it is so much of a favorite musical of his that when the amateur rights were becoming available, he stayed up all night on the computer and was actually the first person in America (laughs) to get the license of of an amateur company to do Mamma Mia. But anybody who knows Nate, and Monica I'm sure is getting to know Nate, knows that his whole life is glitter and celebration. I love him already. Yeah, uh, you you guys are kindred spirits for sure, yeah. (laughs) Right. So Nate is, and he's kind of the co-director for this show and what that means is that every time I try to come up with something he goes no you're supposed to do this now in this we need to do this and we need to do this because he knows the show backwards and forwards and could recite every line and sing every song so that's the reason we're doing Mama Mia. Thank you Nate. But, But a perfect fun fun way to start the summer. Uh, it's, in it such is. a celebration. Yeah. Now, like all musical roles, you aren't only acting, Monica. You're also singing, mm. sometimes by yourself, mostly with mm. someone else. And you are dancing, and often all three at once. Yeah. So what, what is the hardest? Um, for me, dancing. Like, getting my feet to do the right thing and my body to do the right thing, that's the hardest for me. Because I think I'm just always in my head. Like, I, I, in my head, I am the best dancer in the world and so it's like I can see the steps and I'm like oh yeah yeah, I can do that now then trying to put it on your body that's a different thing altogether and so for me that's the hardest thing um but you know it's it's like my my friend Carly who's playing Tanya in this show she she keeps saying you're you're off your notes again you're not singing the right notes I'm like sweetheart sweetheart no it's it's bottom up for me I got to get the feet doing what they're supposed to do first then the acting and then the singing you'll it'll be fine we'll be fine we've got a couple more days so (laughs) it's a couple of so yeah exactly just a couple more weeks so uh but yeah i think for me it's the dancing but carly uh Kling and smith she is from the ozarks and she's a drama teacher she does all of the plays there at the high school and she has dance team background so dancing is the easiest for her she just like busts a move and oh my gosh does your mother know is her big number in act two that she gets to do and if you're not wanting to get out of your seat and dance watching how much fun she's having then i don't know you're probably dead but <laughs> and she's just such a fun person. And then um, Katrina Meyer, uh, who is who's playing Donna, is she's the triple threat. I mean, she can do it all. She can sing. She can dance. So, so I'm the weak link in the three of us. But no. but, <laughs> but I'm no. having fun. So I figure if I mess up the steps, but I look like I'm having fun, people will forget me. <laughs> I have to I have to insert a word for the. We have this wonderful choreography mm. team that's doing Mamma Mia, and their specialty is taking amateur theater people with not a lot of dance training and make them look good. The secret of a choreographer in this, a lot of times you'll find choreographers that try to make people do steps that trained dancers should mm. be able to do and and they end up looking awkward and they do a great job of, of making everybody look good. Yes. And as must the costume people, I guess, because there are such fantastic costumes in Mamma Mia. 
whoever is doing a costumes, could I just put a request in? Can I have one too? <laughs> I need an extra, I need a small, Donna, extra Donna small. And the Dynamos outfit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll pull you up on stage with us. <laughs> now, the music of ABBA is notoriously hard to sing because Agneta and Frida's voices complemented each other so perfectly and enabled their combined voices to cover a much bigger octave range. And there are only a handful of numbers that have a solo singer and I don't, know that you have any of those but how difficult is it to sing ABBA compared to say your favorite Sondheim um okay so the thing is if I want to just sing the melody it's super easy because I've been singing it since I was like in diapers but the the thing is is Rosie is usually on the alto line so I've had to deprogram like unprogram years and decades of singing the melody of the ABBA songs and and singing those harmonies that really kind of it's it's been challenging, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's what makes the sound so cool is that you've got those voices blending perfectly together. And I mean, Chikatita is one of my favorite songs to sing because of that, that really cool blend that happens with the two parts. And it's just it's yeah, it's been fun to learn it, but challenging. But I think, you know, after doing a Sondheim musical, psh, it's fine. <laughs> well, this is fine. <laughs> and we should throw in about the vocals that we have uh, the double thread Ed Hansen, oh my gosh. who is a phenomenal music director, but he's also playing uh, <laughs> one of the dads. One of the dads yeah, Harry, in the so, show, yeah. Harry Headbanger. So, <laughs> Doesn't uh, that just like pop to your mind when you think Ed Hansen, Harry Headbanger? That's like it's perfectly cast again. Right. <laughs> well, let's have another little musical interlude. This is another one of Rose's numbers. Mm-hmm. It's Take a Chance on Me, sung here by Julie Walters and Stellan Skarsgård from I the 2008 movie soundtrack. If you change your mind, take a chance. I'm the first take a chance. in line. Take a chance. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. It's gonna be around. If you got no place to go when you're feeling down. Maybe just talking You get to know me better You know I've got so much that I want to do When I dream I'm alone with you It's not You want me to leave it there Afraid of a love affair But I think you know That I can't let go If you change your That was Take a Chance on Me, sung by Julie Walters and Stellan Skarsgård from the 2008 movie soundtrack of Mamma Mia. Yeah. Now, Rosie, or mm. Monica, yeah. Monica as Rosie, <laughs> yes. this, this song is where you get to molest 
another human being. Um, this Bill. is. I think this is where the the, the sparks really uh, light up between my character and uh, Christopher Clark is playing Bill, and this kind of. They, they're both lone wolves in their own right, and they've never wanted to settle down, and they've never wanted to you know, have a person in, in their life and a family and all that stuff, and all of a sudden this spark happens, and so this this lovely song is the culmination of that. <laughs> but so, I don't think, yeah. do, we, do we find out in the production whether Bill and Rosie get together? Um, I don't know. I think it's alluded to. I don't think it's ever, you know, ever... Right. Like, what, what is your thought on that? Oh, my thought is definitely for at least three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a long-term commitment to Bill and for, Rosie. For Rosie, three months. That's a long-term commitment. So, yeah, I think they're going to have a lot of fun for at least three months. Yeah. yeah if it were done, you'd be two days. <laughs> right. <laughs> and only if he was a millionaire. So, you know. <laughs> right. Now, if you want to see this production, Rob, there isn't great news, right? <laughs> right. Well, there is great news oh, yeah, because the phenomenal thing is that we're doing three weekends and they all sold out a month before but we have added four encore performances now there's no dinner with these performances but you can get tickets for a performance on sunday june 9th one on wednesday june 12th wednesday june 19th and friday june 28th and all of them start at 7 p.m so you'll have to eat in advance or eat afterwards uh but the cast god love them <laughs> um, all a huge cast managed to agree to do four encore performances because I mean the show obviously is popular I mean it's sold out a month in advance yeah I got my tickets early luckily otherwise I'd have been very disappointed <laughs> now, that, that's fantastic I mean a lot of your shows sell out I mean I, I've often seen that in on Facebook and, and that keeps us open yeah <laughs> You guys just need so. a bigger space. You just need, a, you know, to be able to accommodate twice as many people. Well, <laughs> and that could happen. Right, because you may have to move by the end of the year. Right. So we're waiting. Yeah, we're waiting to find in. out. And, and I think it may be a, a mixed blessing because we're starting to begin to outgrow that space yeah. much as we love it because we built it mm -hmm. from absolutely nothing. And you put tens of thousands of dollars into it over the last 12 years. So it seems yeah. sad that you are probably going to have to leave and all of that hard work sweat equity is going to be uh, left behind I, I know but but you have options you said before you know, the yes show. we do have options and larger options so we could actually have a rehearsal space and prop Yay. room costume room seat more people yeah uh all of that so now if somebody doesn't have a ticket for one of the dinner theaters but really wants to come is it worth turning up do you get cancellations on the night do you have a waiting list for people they could call into our ticket line and see if there have been cancellations at all on one of the dinner nights because believe me argyle catering does a wonderful meal buffet mm. meal it is it's, it's great food i had a fantastic right. time at jesus christ superstar yeah. well we are out of time thank you so much to monica palmer and rob kraus mama mia will be on stage at capital city productions from june the 6th and will run for three weekends plus four extra shows that are non-dinner theatre tickets um, but you can get those by going to capitalcityproductions.org or give them a call on 573-681-9612 Thank you so much Monica and Rob Thank you and, for um, having us Let's go out with a little Mamma Mia Yay! Yay! <laughs>
listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia and after a short break I'll be back with two theatre organisations Stevens College and Maplewood Barn to talk about their upcoming shows don't wander off now Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. And in the next segment, I have two sets of guests who will be in the studio. Trent Rash is coming in from Stevens College to fill us in on their Summer Theatre Institute. Plus, we have Parker Ross and Laura Avery here to give us more details about Maplewood Barnes' production of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which opens next Thursday. Hello, Parker and Laura. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. So now let's see. Um, you are at Maplewood Barn, which is outside usually and inside. How hopeful are you that the weather is going to be decent so you can perform outdoors? Are you all watching the 10-day forecast? Yes, we're watching the forecast, but we're planning. We know we're going to have to be out indoors for some just because of the weather, but we're hoping to have more days outside than inside. That makes it very complex because you need two stage setups. Yes. And we're working on two sets right now, yeah. basically. And two sets of blocking because inside yes. is much smaller. So um, some characters when we're inside um, don't even come on. Like some background scene people can't even come on. And for people who don't know, blocking is basically where the actors walk. And so if you've got mm-hmm. two different stages and you've done, it's kind of choreography without music. And yeah. you've done the choreography, which actors are going to be where, and you've got a different stage set up, then it's a different place to stand so you have to remember that as well as remembering all of your lines yes <laughs> and there are multiple sword fights so when we're doing them indoors okay. it was hard to figure out where people were going to go because it was a smaller space now, making sure everyone was safe. <laughs> right <laughs> The original play, of course, is set in Verona in the 1590s, but your production moves it to the 1920s. So tell us more about the world that your Romeo and Juliet inhabits. Well, um, it's 1920s and it's America, so it's prohibition, but uh, we do still have characters that are imbibing. (laughs) So the, the Capulets are kind of seen as a little bit like a, a mob family almost and so we have the lovely it feels like a country house like fancy dress party but also um these cute little sweater vests all the guys have sweater vests they're adorable <laughs> still using sword fights though we didn't switch mm-hmm. to tommy guns still doing sword <laughs> fights <laughs> What tasers? So I'm guessing that people know the story Romeo and Juliet, but Parker, give us a synopsis of the story. Well, at the beginning, Romeo is, he thinks he's in love with this girl, just absolutely head over heels for her, who is not Juliet, but then 
is convinced by his friends to go to a party and where he meets her and they they fall in love but they're from rival families they're rival family yeah. yeah as she says yeah. my only love sprung from my only hate so a love that cannot be yes yeah. they have to kind of do it in secret so they get secretly married by friar lawrence who's his plan he thinks it's a bad idea, but sees the potential to maybe unite their families finally mm-hmm. and end this brawl that he has had to put up with. Yeah. So that's his motivation for it, essentially. But it doesn't go well, because immediately after that happens, Tybalt Capulet gets killed by Romeo, and basically they're at each other's throats again, and Romeo gets banished. And the families don't know that they're married, so no. the families try to marry Juliet off to another guy, mm-hmm. which causes a problem. And it is a tragedy. It's one of Shakespeare's tragedies, yeah. so we know that it's not going to end yeah. well. Surprisingly, there's comedy in it, though, too. Mm-hmm. Like Especially the first half. The tragedy really sets in the second half. And you play the nurse. I play the nurse. So you have a lot of Speaking funny of comedy, lines. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am the comic relief. <laughs> Tell us about the nurse. Tell us what her character is like. Well, um, uh, she's really coarse, but she thinks very highly of herself. She, um, She's the one that pretty much raised Juliet. She was the wet nurse, so they um, they nurse the baby and take care of the baby. The, the mothers didn't actually do that. And uh, so she has this really close attachment to Juliet, more so than her own mother does. And so she she goes around telling everybody, like, oh, I'm the one that nursed the daughter. I mean, you know, she's talking about things that polite society wouldn't probably talk about, but she, she thinks she's all that. So, But I think that's what makes it funny. Yeah. And Parker, you play Romeo, mm-hmm. and so you are a, a lovelorn romantic. Very much. <laughs> now, in your description of the play, you say that um, it uses German, exp- it's influenced by German expressionism and the silent film era. You're looking at me with wide eyes. What is it about German expressionism that, you, that is in this play? Wow, I can't answer that. They okay. didn't prep me for That's that. I'm sorry. <laughs> more of a question for the director, but I know... A lot of the set, what we can do with it beyond just the structure of it, is meant to look like it. And the backdrops are yeah, Parker, you very worked, influenced. Yeah, Parker, you worked on a lot of the art mm-hmm. for the show. I did. It's very art deco. It, yeah, it is very okay. art deco. Yeah. So it's kind of German expressionist in the, in the art deco component of the stage, mm-hmm. not in the way that you are, not in acting style or anything like that, I'm guessing then. Not that... No. no, because I was thinking, you know, Shakespeare is difficult enough to perform without adding some extra torture to yourself of like trying to yeah, make it yeah. sound like it's a German expressionist. Yeah, maybe, she, maybe she snuck it in and didn't tell us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would be something. Well, that's what it says on the website anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Parker, you're playing Romeo. Laura, mm-hmm. you're playing Juliet's nurse. And you're a very archetypal character. So tell us a little bit about how did you prepare? Like, what is your inner world as a character? What, what do you, what's your pre-performance preparation? I have to really age myself because the, the nurse kind of has to act like this fussy old lady. And so I have to picture little old church ladies and bustling about. And I have this kind of high-pitched voice that I use so um, I have to to get that voice going in my head and sometimes I kind of get the pattern of the language going to kind of get into but I, I also just channel the mother feeling too because 
she feels like Juliet is her child. She even had a child at the same time as Juliet, and her child died. So this is kind of her replacement child. And she's so a better mother than Lady Capulet is in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think so. She's certainly more involved with Juliet's upbringing mm-hmm. than Lady yes. Capulet is. I yes. mean, she, she nursed her. She was the wet nurse as well for right. Juliet, and so she's really yeah. been the, the mother right. to her. Well, yeah, and I think in this interpretation, we we kind of distanced Lady Capulet from Juliet a little yes. bit more than maybe other interpretations might. Now, when you're working with such famous archetypal Shakespearean characters, how do you give them a fresh feel? How difficult is it as an actor to take this role that's been done tens, hundreds of thousands of times and make it yours? It's really been a process for me trying to figure out the motivations. I haven't watched really, I've seen a couple scenes, but I haven't watched any other versions of it all the way through because I don't like to do that. I was was talking with Kathy, who is producing our assistant director. She's the assistant director. Assistant director about Hamlet instead because in some of the monologues he has, it's a very similar sort of pensivity, but is not specifically the emotion of it and not the same line, so I wouldn't copy it because I don't like to go into roles feeling like I'm pulling from a specific performance. But I had never actually read or seen it before besides I knew the concept of it and basic story, but actually going into it and reading everything he goes through, it has been a process because there's an element of tragedy at the end because he's what he's saying and the way he's saying it sounds like a crazy person almost. He is really losing everything. And you can see in the language how much it actually takes its toll on him, which I never really thought about until I got into his head. As a viewer of Shakespeare, I think I I rarely see it performed well because it's so hard to take that language of 16th century England and make it sound contemporary. But those people that I think do do an awesome job is they they can make it sound like you're watching Modern Family. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just take that language that is so antiquated Mm -hmm. uh, by our modern standards and they present it in a way that it makes you feel like, you know, you've Mm -hmm. been watching it on TV. Is that something that your producer is stressing to you? It's difficult. It is difficult. <laughs> yeah. She's trying. Yeah. yeah I, I think we're, we're she trying. pushes us to feel the characters and the emotions of the characters. She was telling us last night, she's like, I don't care if you forget a line. She's like, it's more important that you take that moment that you emote, you express. Um, because that's what people are going to feel because lots of people are going to come to the show and they might have difficulty hearing, you know, we're outside, it's really hard to get sound, so if you're in the back what is really going to tell the story is what they see um, so that's very important So stay stay in character even if yeah. you forget the line, just, you know yeah. what would Nurse do at this point? Right, <laughs> right, right, right <laughs> So I'm going to move over to Stevens College and Trent Rash, as there is a Shakespeare connection here. One of your five Summer Theatre Institute shows is called Oh for a Muse of Fire. So tell us what that's all about. Yeah, that's our second show, actually, next next Friday. Um, that is a combined show with Shakespeare and Stage Combat. We have two experts in both of those fields on campus. And so the students are, they've just combined together. For a while, they were just doing some Shakespearean and voice work, and then they were doing a Stage Combat class. And so now they are doing scenes from Shakespeare that are, are involve actual physical contact. And so they're marrying the two of them where they have to really work on the 
uh, recitation of the text, but also at the same time duel each other. We were just talking before you came on that there is a, obviously sword scenes in Romeo and Juliet. So is Romeo and Juliet one of the scenes it that is, you have? It is not. You know, our, all of our students are, are females, and so we have to be careful about what we do. Although we are doing, you know, we did an entire all-female version of Julius Caesar this year, which was wonderful. And so there are scenes with, with men and women playing men. where I think we have scenes from A Midsummer Night's Dream and Taming of the Shrew. And then we have the Ophra Musifier monologue we had in, which I think is from one of the Henry plays. And there might be one more I'm forgetting. I'm not the artistic director, so I'm a little less known about all of the pieces, but I think there's three shows altogether with scenes from each. So is, it's an evening of, of fighting. Yes, it's an evening of scenes from different <laughs> Shakespeare uh, plays with some with some actual physical contact. Absolutely. Now, Trent, I know that your passion is musical theatre, but yes. as a teacher of the theatrical arts, we, as we were talking about Shakespeare, what is the hardest thing for students to get a grip on? I, I, first of all, I think it is, our students would say, and I've heard them say, some, in some ways it's easier to memorize because it rhymes a lot, uh, you know? And so I think it's more, again, the connection between what is the interpretation of this in our lives today? So even though you're saying this and it may make no sense to you, it does make sense, and it did make sense then, but how can you say that in a way that you interpret that makes sense for you and will make sense to the people watching? Right. Um, so the idea that it's embodied, again, in the, in the body as well and not just in I'm saying these lines, but it's, it's, it's truly authentic. I, my favorite Romeo and Juliet portrayal is Baz Luhrmann's, which is a movie version back in, I think, 1998, mm. Australian director, where he sets it in modern times, and it's phenomenal. It has uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in it, but that is a, a wonderful example of where they, the emotion of the moment, the interpretation yes. of the intent is so clear. And, of course, it's on film, which makes it a little bit different yeah. than doing it on the With stage. With Claire Danes, too, right? Claire Danes, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, it's a fantastic one to see. Mm-hmm. So Ophra Muse of Fire is only one of five yes. shows that are being presented by the Summer Theatre Institute. Yes. So, first of all, tell us what is the Summer Theatre Institute? Yes, the Summer Theatre Institute is the summer semester, a very intensive summer, six week summer semester for the students um, who have just completed their first year of either BFA in technical theater, acting, musical theater, or costume design. And so they all stay on campus for six weeks. It really starts right after graduation. They don't really get to leave. And um, over the course of those six weeks, they are engaging in a whole bunch of different intensives and very specialized forms of theater. And the whole goal is that we're working on process and what is our process like as an actor. And it's not so much about the product as it is about how are we developing our process as an actor so that when we go out into the real world, we are coming into shows prepared. Mm-hmm. And because in the real world, you don't get a ton of rehearsal time. You have to do a lot of the work on your own. So we're trying to, to give students those skills to be able to come in and be able to do that once they leave. Now, is it just on stage performances or are you also teaching costuming and backstage and stage yeah, management? The, the, the technical students have right now, they just completed a what was called collaborations, where, which was a design class where they were doing presentations on different shows that they were designing for. They're about to start a millinery, which is a hat making unit. And then they have a stage man- man- management unit. So there's lots of different things going on. Plus, we have workshops in arts admin and dramaturgy. And so it's really we try to give them a well-rounded view of what it's like to be an actor, because sometimes it might not mean you're on the stage, but to get the work and to make the money, you may have to do something off stage. So does everybody do everything? The actors get to do the backstage stuff and the technical people get to the actors get to do the workshops. But 
the they don't get to, to do the two week intensives because it's it's at the same time as theirs. But there are a number of things that they do collaborate on together. To be a student and be allowed to take this course, is it a competitive process? Who gets to do it? Because I'm sure everybody wants to do it. Right. It's 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 all the students. I mean, at this point, Stevens is not an audition school. So anyone who comes in and comes to Stevens as a BFA student um, is going to end up in our program that first summer. You don't have to audition to study drama you at Stevens? don't have to audition at this point to study drama well, at Stevens. Well, know what I'm doing next year then. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> so is it is it all of the first-year students? Yes, it is the entire first-year class. But there's only 20 students or so. There's right? 24, yeah, we have okay. 24. Okay. And um, it's a mix of, you know, like I said, all those. Plus, this year we actually have some dance majors, which has been kind of fun. And they're doing some, some of them are helping with some period dancing that we're having as transitions during the Shakespeare show. Okay. So we opened tonight. You yes. opened tonight with an evening of long form improv yes. in a show entitled There Are No Rules, which mm-hmm. is kind of a misnomer because I know from my chats with the Staple right. Boys that improv actually does have a, there quite are, a few there rules. There are some rules. That is correct. How there do are. you coach for something that doesn't exist? Well, it's so we have two guest artists and both who are alums who both went through the Second City and Chicago I.O. programs in Chicago, and they're based there, uh, wonderful alums, and they just talk the students through a whole bunch of different forms. And essentially how a show, you know, when you break down a show, how does that, how does a, just a typical show work? And so they've just been for the last two weeks, first of all, they had to kind of figure out who was going to be in what groups, which is kind of a fun process to see who worked together. So there's two different groups, and then they got to decide what is our opening going to be what kind of prompt do we want? And then from there, you know, they, they're going to do a whole bunch of montage of scenes. I, I have to say, as an aside, that I have taken such sheer joy out of coming to see the Stable Boys mm-hmm. long-form improv mm-hmm. shows at Talking Horse and how much I've loved watching your talents grow over the year and how you've really coalesced yes. as a group because yes. improv is really about trust. Yes. And you and you can see that trust really growing in the mm-hmm. Stable Boys improv Absolutely. trip. And to be honest, I've seen Second City and I laugh more at the Stable Boys than I did at Second City. You guys wow, thank you. are rocking. And I might be that. because I know you all and right. therefore it makes it more right. funny. Right. <laughs> Right, you have that connection, sure. Um, but you're starting to sell out shows at Talking Horse. The last one was, you know, people sitting on each other's laps was, almost to it, get yes. in. So the next one I think is coming up in July, and I would definitely recommend people go and see it. But how does improv affect your general acting ability? How does yeah. it improve it? You know what? I'm so so. It used to be the second to last show, and I really uh, we changed it to the first show because, and I the students have already agreed that this was a good change. It really builds trust with your fellow company and also relationships it's a lot about communication so it's a really great thing to start off with for the students because they have they have to communicate with each other if it's going to be successful so i think that they all have agreed uh after we talked last weekend about it that they're so thankful to have this first because they have grown to know each other better and they've grown to trust each other better right and the great thing is that tonight there is no nothing else on any stage in columbia stages oh my are gosh. all dark so except for come Stephen's see this and come see this it's going to be so fun <laughs> so besides tonight's improv show, yes. next Friday you have the evening of Shakespeare and yes. Stage Combat. Mm-hmm. And then what are the other three shows that are coming up in yeah, June? Yeah, so then the, the next show after that is a devised, an evening of devised theater um, called This Moment Catch It, Frame It. Um, and it is, uh, we're bringing in a guest artist who's based in Philadelphia. He's a theater activist. Um, this is more of our heavier work. Last year's shows were beautiful and very deep. There was a, a, a the students create these. That's what device theater is. They're, when he gets here, he'll split them up into certain teams and they will.
will create a piece just in the two weeks that he's here. Um, there's last no year, script. Nothing's there's no been script. written. They no, start no. with absolute they start blank with, page. They start with at ground zero. And last year there was one about school shootings and one about mental health. And so it, they kind of are based on an issue that the group decides uh, they want to, to discuss or, or to look at. And they have just two weeks to put two that weeks together. to put it together. Absolutely. Um, what is a theatre activist? Uh, a person who um, uses theatre to bring awareness about issues involving social justice or um, certain topics or themes or uh, things that they feel the the greater population should know. And I, I would argue that all the theater is activism <laughs> because uh, it's all a glimpse at humanity. And so I think people walk away learning more about themselves, whether they knew they were doing that or not. Right. I had to look up what device theater was. was like, I haven't heard it, but yeah. it's very, it's very hot. Yes, it is right now. It is so trendy everywhere. Absolutely, yes. And so um, there's a uh, an actor called Rachel Chavkin, and she's the artistic director of a group called The Team, which is a device theater group. And she said, it's a group of people centering in on an idea and finding every possible way to attack that idea. Yes. But, I mean, usually That's it great. takes a lot longer than two or three weeks. People oh, work yeah. on this for months to put absolutely. a show together. Absolutely. They'll take two to three months to put a show together. Yeah. So Tons this of is... research needed. Yes. And, yeah. Absolutely. And so plays like the Laramie Project and the mm-hmm. musical Oh, What a Lovely War mm-hmm. both started out life as a, a devised right. play. So I guess you're just speeding the process up. We are. We it, it, Again, it's an intensive. We call it an intensive. So it's just a, uh, a lot of time, but a short amount of time. Now, your students are working from eight in the morning till ten at night or that something? That is correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really with long three hour break that's it during the day so um and then after that you have a faction of fools on june the 14th with uh, comedy dell'arte commedia dell'arte yes that's an interesting history what is Commedia dell'arte? you know it it originated in 16th century italy which is where romeo and juliet takes place and um essentially you know Tony, who's coming for the third year, he is an expert mask maker, so it involves the use of masks. Um, And there's a bunch of different archetypes that you can become, uh, whether it's Columbina or Petruco, or there's there's many of them, the doctor. And they all have different physical and vocal qualities to them. And they they fill a certain role in the show. And we, what I love about putting it right before the musical theater showcase is Broadway is the American Commedia dell'arte, because those archetypes have developed over the years into different forms and in our in, in America that is our Commedia dell'arte because there are very specific archetypes that are, appear in musical theaters over and over and so it's going to be really neat for the students to see that connection from right. one to the other and is that improvised too or is, it, is that scripted it is it's it, I will say that it is devised because once he gets here Tony works with the students and they create a show and what they've done in the past is they've actually set these characters in more modern settings so we've seen them pop up in an airport or a, a restaurant um, and wearing the masks and but wearing more modern clothing too so it's been really fun to watch and they don't make the masks so there's a no Tony makes all of them, them and he brings a whole trunk of about 40 masks um, and they he has a, a beautiful day where he sets him out and he's like where he helps him like learn to make a connection to the mask because it can be really um you lose you lose your face in some ways and as an actor that can be a little um disconcerting yeah absolutely and so there's a, he talks him through like there are other ways you can use your body though to for that expression it's really great and then the final one is yes. on June the 24th is a musical review, Yay. All yes. of That Jazz, yes. which is a combination of songs from three it is. musicals, right? It is. And so um, I'm heading that up with uh, Nicole Roark from Washington, D.C., who's actually worked with the Broadway Theater Project in New York. She's wonderful. And we'll be doing some tap dancing numbers from 42nd Street and um, some more singer-driven songs from Songs for New World, which is a Jason Robert Brown show, and then ending up with Chicago. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Songs for a New World I fell in love with. I saw oh. them at performed at Mizzou and then yeah. two songs that I love are yeah. I'm Not Afraid of Anything. It'll be in there. Excellent. And Surabaya Santa. Now that one I've not done, but I, I'm, it depends on, you know, I always take a look at the group and we'll see. That is a very funny one, though. It's so clever. <laughs> yeah. I'm Not Afraid of Anything was, was stormingly well performed yeah. at Mizzou. So um, let's look at the date. So yes. Trent, five events coming up. Five shows, yeah. First one tonight. Yes. Ne- next one next Friday, which uh, May the 31st at 7.30 p.m. They're all at 7.30 p.m. in the warehouse. The third one is um, June the uh, 7th. 7th, yes, and then June the 14th. Those first four at 7.30 in the warehouse. The last one is on a Monday evening, June the 24th at 7.30 p.m. in the Mecklenburg on the big stage. All of these are free. Right. Completely free. Completely free. Yes. I mean, is it just turn up and hope you get a ticket? You just show up and you can walk in. Yeah, there's no tickets. You show up and we will hope to be able to find you a seat and let you in. Okay, and that's that's all starting tonight. And ladies, Maplewood Barn... Your dates used open, is it next Thursday? Thursday, May 30th, and we run that weekend, the following weekend, and the Thursday through Sunday at a.m. starts at 8 p.m. Okay, so it's a two-week run or a three-week run? Sorry, three-week run. Three-week run. Three-week run starting May 30th. Yes. Thank you all so much for coming in. The Stevens College Summer Theatre Institute opens tonight with an evening of long-form improv at the Warehouse Theatre and then continues with four more shows through June. All the shows are free to the public and take place at either the Warehouse, mostly the Warehouse, mm-hmm. or the Mecklenburg Theatre. And Maplewood Barnes, Romeo and Juliet opens next Wednesday, May the 30th. You can get tickets for their shows online at maplewoodbarn.com through their Facebook page or you can just turn up and buy them from the box office an hour prior to showtime. However, take note that if the evening is rainy and the production is in the barn, then seating is limited. So um, it doesn't mean that everyone is going to get seated. Thank you all so much, Parker, Laura and Trent. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts. And before we hand the airwaves over to Terry Gross and Fresh Air, I have a list of arts events coming up. It is, of course, Memorial Day weekend, which means that most theatres are dark. But for music lovers, there is plenty going on. Now, that said, the one theatre stage with plenty of action tonight is the Warehouse Theatre at Stevens College, where it is the first show for the Summer Theatre Institute. Tonight the show is There Are No Rules, an evening of long-form improv. And like all the Summer Theatre Institute shows, tonight's event is totally free to attend and open to everybody. At Rose Music Hall tonight, Columbia's alt-rock trio, The Many Coloured Death, will have their album release party. That show starts at 7.30 and tickets are $5. It is Peddler's Jamboree weekend with a host of musical events happening both on the trail the parts that aren't underwater, and at Boonville's Kemper Park, with festival organisers expecting around 2,500 riders. Cyclists leave Flat Branch Park between 7.30 and 10 tomorrow morning, but there is also an option to be a non-rider and just turn up at Kemper Park and enjoy the Saturday evening main stage music, which this year includes the Stone Sugar Shakedown, the K Brothers, Blitz and Trapper and Dirtfoot. Now, en route out to Boonville on Saturday, there is music at various places, but check out the peddlersjamboree.com website for all details because the route has been changed to accommodate the rising water. Um, and you also see if you can still buy tickets there. In Columbia tomorrow, the Odyssey Chamber Music Series has its children's concert, Carnival of the Animals and Friends, at First Baptist Church, and that's at 3 p.m. Saturday night at the Blue Note, it's a 90s versus noughties dance party with DJ Requiem throwing down 
epic music videos on the Blue Notes massive screen. Dress your favourite decade and be there by 9pm with $5 in your sticky little mitts. Sunday night, the Peddler's Jamboree after party will be in Rose Park from 6 onwards with Mercer and Johnson, Paul Weber and the Scrappers and Austin Jones and the Boot Heel Boys on the stage. This is a free event and you don't have to have been to the rest of the Peddler's Jamboree weekend. Monday afternoon from 1 till 4pm, history comes alive at the Columbia Cemetery with local actors in full costume delivering brief monologues from people who are buried in the cemetery. You'll be able to hear from local merchant Victor Barth, early settler Jefferson Garth, businessman Frederick Niedermeyer, educator David Hickman, suffragist Helen Guthrie Miller, agriculturalist Henry Kirkland and architect Mary Louise Lafont. Admission is free of charge and the monologues will be repeated throughout the afternoon. Tuesday evening, Rose Park's Movies in the Park summer season continues with The Big Lebowski. The movie starts at 8.30 and is free to attend. The Como Comedy Club is back at the Blue Note next Wednesday with stand-up comedian and actor Tone Bell live on stage at 7pm. You'll need $20 to be part of that party. Also on Wednesday night, Bay Area-based singer-songwriter Kelly Finnegan and the Atonements will be stopping off at Rose Music Hall as part of their The Tales People Tell album tour. Their show starts at 8.30 and tickets are $10. Next Thursday, May the 30th, North Carolina's Sarah Shook and the Disarmers are at Rose Music Hall. You can see their show at 8pm. It is also opening night for Maplewood Barnes, second show of their summer season, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, with their production set in America in the 1920s Prohibition era. The play will have a three-weekend run at the barn and tickets are $10. And finally, there will be a tornado disaster relief concert for Jefferson City at the Blue Note next Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. Bands are still to be announced and there is a $5 minimum suggested donation. And apart from that, I wish you all a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. You have been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.